Welcome to Disruptor in Chief, a show about the ongoing revolution in higher education. Let's hear from the main man leading the charge at Maryville University. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Lombardi. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Lombardi, the president of Maryville University, and welcome to this uh, one of a series of podcasts we're doing on the disruption and revolution in higher education and how Maryville University is a big part of leading that. And today, I'm just excited to have Bill O'Connor with us. Uh, Bill is a friend, and we've done some work together, uh, but his background and experience in innovation is really uh, of national and international importance, and let me share some of those things with you. Bill is the founding partner of Agents of Innovation, an innovation consultancy based in Silicon Valley and now in Boston, Massachusetts. He's also a faculty member at Singularity University and an advisor to the leading AI digital people company in the world, and that is Soul Machines. Over the past 10 years, he's conducted 600 innovation engagements with 250 corporations from 50 countries, working with 8,000 professionals, 4,000 executives and C-staff, and 25 CEOs. Bill's work with companies such as Google, Apple, Renault, Tesla, Nike, Airbnb, IDO, RBS, Starbucks, Twitter, Bechtel. I'm getting tired here, Bill. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah. Autodesk, Facebook, GE, IKEA, the U.S. Department of Defense, the World Bank, uh, and just about everybody else you can imagine. He's helped people improve and expand their innovation mindsets and their skill sets, and I think it goes without saying he's one of the foremost experts on innovation and the process of innovation. So, Bill, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. That sounds like a great guy you just described. (laughs) Well, he is a great guy. Uh, Uh, and if, if, if I go into my Rhode Island accent, which is where I'm from, and Bill does a Long Island-Boston mix, it's part of an inner dialogue that he and I have. Uh, I miss the East Coast. He's back there, and so uh, I like to hear those sounds every once in a while. First of all, you were supposed to stop at Duncan and get me a couple of Crellas. What happened here? Sorry about that, Pally. I was obsessed with the Red Sox. Some of the moves they're making are not proper. <laughs> well, they're, they're going to have a wicked, wicked season wicked, next wicked, year. Wicked, wicked, wicked. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for now. Um, Bill, you've been an expert in innovation for many years. You've worked with all these different companies and businesses. Talk to us about innovation and the process of innovation, and then talk about it in this amazing, incredible digital age we're in. Sure. I mean, great, great topic. There's, um, I mean, innovation has been around for 3.5 million years. Million. The stone hand axe in Dikika, Africa, is well, that's the first evidence we have. So, um, and, you know, being, having been in Silicon Valley 25 years, it is an obvious mistake around the world to um, conflate innovation and technology. Of course, innovate, technology is an incredible uh, accelerator. But, you know, of course, I mean, on the other hand, the stone hand axe, you could say, is the first piece of technology which really was incredibly useful back then, much more useful than our smartphone. So you've hit it exactly right. There is innovation, um, and democracy is an innovation, right? That's not a technology, right? Um, Civil disobedience is an innovation. It's not a technology. And it's funny, people think, oh, isn't that what Martin Luther King did? Yes, but before that. Oh, no, that's what Gandhi did. Where did Gandhi get it from? 
New England, uh, Henry David Thoreau Pally, right? <laughs> so yes, you're exactly right. One of the main things we've found in the course of the Innovation Genome Project is that, of course, um, innovation is the superset, technology is, is a subset, an extremely powerful subset. Um, but again, so many people that have, I, I would say, benefited from our work, they don't have to be in technology. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you about higher education. We're also doing work in healthcare. Anywhere you're doing work, really, you can apply innovation. If it happens to be in technology, that's fine. And, and these days, we are, this is the most powerful set of emerging technologies ever in human history, going back 3.5 million years. So, you know, I, I try to disabuse executives of this idea that if they set up an innovation lab, and we do $40 million, uh, we spend $40 million, and we get the smartest people from MIT, and Susan is our director of the VC fund, and she's homeschooled with 183 IQ. They're all wonderful people. They're all better dressed than I can ever be in my life. The hippest people in the world, right? But if they don't understand what innovation really is, they just put all the technology toys in there, what's the result? Literally nothing. So I have an evangelical side, which is like, it's like, yes, technology is wonderful. At the deeper level, you have to know how to innovate to apply the technologies. I don't know if that makes sense. So innovation is uh, a human process. It's been with us since the dawn of time. Yep. Uh, you, we can point to many things, as you say, innovative that have nothing to do with technology. And then you reference this confluence of, of technological uh, uh, changes today. It seems to me that, that what's happening today is not that there are innovations, as you point out, there always have been, but they're all coming faster and faster yep. and faster. And, and how do you think that impacts not just uh, society, but impacts our understanding of innovation, our understanding of the world we're in today, that, that rapidity of, of just change and, and innovation? Yeah, one way I'll address that is that it's tautological that humans can't think exponentially. If you read any of the Ray Kurzweil stuff, you know the, the singularity is near. Um, you're right that the amount, the amount, and the the profundity of the technologies, we can't process that. I mean, you know, I shouldn't say that. It is very difficult for a typical human brain, even super smart people, to literally hold in their head at the same time. I mean, I love doing the list. It's and I love to again scaring executives is kind of my business model, I guess, <laughs> for their own good. Yes. But like, I'll, I'll show the list of the twelve technologies. And I'm like, yeah, additive manufacturing, of course. You know, don't even talk about the cloud, infinite computing. But it's like, okay, um, blockchain, the Web three. You know, DAOs, NFTs, all this crazy stuff, AI, um, immersive stuff like the metaverse. Mm -hmm. It's just the amount and the confluence is exactly right. And even when the best business magazines, so I've been a fan of Wired for like decades, even today, when Wired magazine writes about a technology, it's always one technology. Uh, you know, they don't talk like this, but it's like, um, you know, AR, VR, Jaron Lanier invented it, and blah, 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 you know, like, good, so they talk about that. Or then they did something on blockchain. There's almost no article that says, uh, we're screwed because <laughs> look at these nine technologies. We were in the editor's room. We couldn't even keep it all on the whiteboard. So I'll, I'll sum up that section by saying I agree with you. It's an unbelievable like, like tech wave coming at us. And um, to introduce another subject, we could talk about thinking at it through the lens of the future of work. We can't just get so immersed and excited in the technologies that it sweeps us away. I think this is the time to think consciously about 
you know, what kind of world do we want? You know, can we get back in the driver's seat on some of these technologies? So, and, and it seems that, you know, I've been reading a lot, certainly during the pandemic, about the future of work and, yeah. and how all of these things come together. And obviously, no one, I think, has, uh, quote unquote, figured it out. Or as Abraham Lincoln said, predicting the future is not a, not a profitable profession. <laughs> exactly. So how, how do you get your arms around all these different elements when it relates to the future of work? Because in higher ed, for example, we're, I think, struggling in a sense with with how do we want to construct uh, uh, workload in in a in a higher ed setting to ma- obviously maximize the education for the student, but also yeah. open up avenues for students to explore that isn't just one size fits all, yeah. but it, it's multiple avenues to that educational experience. So. Help us out. Help us understand some of that. Uh, well, I would. I'll throw a term at you that I uh, that I came up with. It's called a LUD. L U D. It's named in favor of the Luddites. And what it means is, it's a um, uh, it's it's a limiting unconscious default. It's something that you believe. You don't even know you believe it, and it's uh, basically dumb. Right. One of the LUDs um, before the like pre- a Red Sox fan, like a Red Sox fan. Yeah. Well, the LUD might have been we'll never win a World Series, <laughs> Pally. Right? That was not a LUD. That was just a factual thing for 86 years. <laughs> oh, all right. Too much pain. Too much pain. So a LUD is um, this idea of something you're not even quite aware of. So one of the ways that I advise and have for years to try to be innovative is tabula rasa. Start from scratch as much as possible, because then you just try to leave your LUDs at the door. Um, and I think that uh, when you think about higher education, there is so much legacy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm preaching not just the I'm preaching to the preacher here, not just the converted, <laughs> right? Um, there's so much legacy, whatever politics, structure, etc. That um, one way to not do it, and you and I have talked about this offline, is um, I don't think you can change fundamentally a realm like education or healthcare or God help us politics by sort of doing spot improvements here. Um, Sometimes organic can work from the bottom up, but I think you need a wholesale, um, you need to reimagine what it will be. And again, that's not about technology primarily. I just came back from a huge um, healthcare conference in Boston and everyone there, they weren't talking about medications or this or that, they were talking about overall like rubrics and, 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 and the way to like, the way you look at an entire field. So again, like I'm, I can talk about technologies all day long, even in, high, especially in higher education, but it, it goes back to something you and I have talked about many times, which is starting from scratch, changing the fundamental way you look at things and something you're very good at keeping the learner first. Something I say, and I'm segueing a bit, in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area, one of the reasons the innovation is so high there, and I like to use this voice. This is my, like, Bay Area italics. <laughs> so now you know I'm speaking Bay Area. Um, they do – they have something in common with you, which is, like, you put the learner – and everyone talks about it, but I know you a bit, and I know you really mean it. Put the learner, the student first. In the Bay Area, this is a subtle difference, but it's like – um, the Bay Area really wants to help people. So think about it. If I want to help you in some way, I will create this. This could be a launch of a software, whatever. But my focus is on you. And the whole Bay Area, it is really a crazy place in that way. So it's like, we want to help you. So if this can change, we're going to change it today to help you. The goal, we're looking at you. Mm-hmm. Most other normal places, you know, Boston, Berlin, Beijing, whatever, 
they look at the thing they've made, and it's almost like, oh, the users don't really like it. Isn't that annoying? <laughs> like customer fee. Oh God. In the Bay Area, like think of it though. The nicer way is like, you know, we want to help you. If you care about someone and you understand them and you imagine on their behalf. That's innovation. So I would say that is a very useful trope for education, and this is a built-in advantage that you guys have. Um, I know not everybody may, but you know, people in education, from my experience, generally speaking, do care about the students and doing something a higher purpose. That's a powerful thing to leverage when you're trying to innovate. It's like, oh God, I don't even understand this model, but wait a minute, that could be better for the learners. Let's keep going. Well, I think, you know, you're getting at, and as we drill down in this, into higher ed, obviously, and, and innovation and all those things that, that we're doing and that you're advising many about, including Maryville, the, the, the element that you're hitting on there is so important, which is you only really begin to see, in many ways, the absurdity of an existing model when you put yourself in the position of whether it's the learner or in healthcare, the patient, or in some other industry, other verticals, and you begin to look at it and say, okay, if I'm if I'm a student sitting in X class, does and does this make sense to me? Does right. this process, this system, this approach, does any of it make sense? And when you start to ask those questions, you literally are freed from yeah. from the what I call twentieth century assumptions, yeah. and you're free to really explore and look at things from in, through a series of different lenses. And that, as I understand the work you've done, that's really in many ways the beginning of that innovative process when you can sort of take yourself out of your 100%. own entrance. So, so let's let's drill down on higher ed. So if we're gonna if if we're gonna have a truly a learner centered approach, and we're gonna strip away all the other assumptions. What jumps out at you with your experiences with, with higher ed? What are the kinds of things that you say, okay, now we, can, now we can jettison that and get rid of this and put this in and use this tool and this, this approach? What, what, what excites you? What jumps out? I'll say three things, and I'll, I'll state them so I remember them all. Of course, it's AI, the metaverse, and also there is this craze of note-taking in Silicon Valley. It's like Rome research, like this 53 how to take notes. So the three things I would say is, so let's start with the simplest thing. We've talked about this. Um, you know, to paraphrase the Clinton era, it's the metaverse, stupid, right? <laughs> to, to myself too. So the first thing I it would say is, well, the metaverse. So this is the question, right? Um, in higher ed. Um, okay, the first university, you can check me on this, 1348 Bologna, Italy, most people say. Some people say it was in... Um, it was Mohammed way, way back. But, you know, 1348 is a good starting point. Predicate on a physical place, right? My great, 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 great grandfather was a this. janitor there. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be super impressed, and I'm still impressed. <laughs> um, boy, we're really learning a lot about each other, aren't we? Let's do um, 23andMe together to see if we're related somehow. Back yeah, in Boston, maybe, right? So, maybe. Um, but so, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a LUD, right? Yeah. It's like before, and by the way, the pandemic murdered a lot of LUDs, which is good. One of the LUDs, and, and a limiting unconscious default, is that the whole world had was, we can only do X amount virtually. We were all wrong. Honestly, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> and a lot of the nerds I know were not wrong. But, you know, so um, one thing, three things with education. One thing, of course physical places, virtual spaces. And mm -hmm. you and I have had this talk, it's like Maryville or and or other universities. Yeah, there's a physical campus somewhere. Um, also, there's a metaverse campus. So in the metaverse campus, look at this. 
There's a woman from Paris walking through there. There's someone else from Hong Kong. You got everybody. You can have any speaker in the world because everybody's got to get up, put on the pajamas. Like, <laughs> like it's, it, it, it will absolutely transform and is transforming higher ed. So that's about place, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is, duh, AI, right? So what can AI do among other things? Customize learning things. Um, we've talked about this too. It's like you are, uh, you are a freshman. You're trying to decide what to study and what to do. Um, I am absolutely waiting for this to happen. P please, God, we need it. So it's like um, instead of, you know, the best meeting career counselors and you're reading books and what color is my parachute and all that stuff, you have a, an AI, hopefully with a nice human um, veneer or, or, or personality, mm -hmm. that's saying amazing things like, based on the 42 favorite um, uh, artists you like, you might try this, because we notice that these people that like this artist, they like this realm. Or these uh, 800 books that you've read in your whole life, you should consider this over here. Like that's going to be really interesting when AI can um, not replace anybody, but augment how you choose what to study and what to think about and what to learn. That's just one thing with AI. Well, right? and, and, and you know, we talk about the fact that and sometimes people get nervous about this, but if you take the principles of data analytics and artificial intelligence, which are fundamental to something like Amazon, and you apply them to education, you can provide personalized learning for every student yep. and, and, and get out of warehouse learning where one yep. size fits all and really reach every student at, at, in every place and every space. And in many ways... It empowers those students. They become active, engaged learners. Yes. They own the process because the process is theirs. It's not ours. We're exactly. not creating it. Exactly. They're creating it. Yeah. And and that shift of power from from call it uh, uh, from teachers to students or teachers to learners, it, I think is 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 the most profound innovation in education potentially. By the way, not dependent at all on technology. No, I was about to say, that's the conception. deep, you said the deepest thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I think, and, and you talk about AI, the data analytics behind AI, obviously. Let's talk a little bit about the metaverse because there are a lot of people out there that have no clue. They think the metaverse is a new game by Epic or it's a new whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, I've just been uh, diving into the metaverse just for the last several months at your at your urging, and uh, and uh, I've uh, I still haven't found a good bar in the metaverse yet that I enjoy. But but there's it's maybe we'll have to found it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that'd be yeah. pretty good. The meta bar. The meta bar. Love it. Perfect. Wow. Uh, they've got to serve Bombay Sapphire. That's the only thing I require. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Done. I know what that you require, so we don't have little, to get little into Jamesons that. will do the trick. Little Jamesons. There okay. we go. But talk about the metaverse. What what is it really, and and how is it a uh, or potentially a sort of quantum leap from what people consider now as part of their lives, which, for lack of a better term, is the internet? Yeah, I'll use what I call the Mark Andreessen parking lot um, uh, analogy. So Mark Andreessen, you know, in, <laughs> invented the interwebs, basically Andreessen Horowitz. He said something um, along these lines. He said, everyone is saying, oh, God, we're all on our phones and everything. And that is true. Like, he acknowledges that. But he said also, but think about it. I'm sitting in a parking lot. I had to wait for my wife for 22 minutes. I have a choice. It's a binary choice. The parking lot or everything else. <laughs> I actually think I added that last part. And he was like, what are you going to pick? And I was like, yeah. I understand the impulse to pick everything else. And sometimes you just got to just be here now and meditate and all that stuff. That's fine. But so to me, along those lines, what the metaverse is in a way, 
is, so I went to Franklin Marshall College, right? I liked, I liked it. I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, Amish capital, go Amish. <laughs> Proud Amish American, right? Um, but I loved my education, but I was limited to that physical space. So, uh, uh, hey, a poet is coming to campus to talk. That's great. I, I think his name was Donald Bell. I still remember it. The difference is that's a, that's a LUD. That's great, but it's limiting, right? Mm -hmm. So let's take physical space out as a constraint. That, that's what the metaverse is at the deepest level, right? So it's like um, I remember when in the early, early, early days of the Internet, I found a online, this was like 93, a professor at Oxford who loved Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And I was sitting at my cube in, in Boston at Houghton Mifflin Publishing, and I sent her a question. I said she wrote back. I couldn't believe it. But it wasn't just email. It was like she had a website and stuff. That's what the metaverse means to me with higher ed, simplifying it, staying at your level deeper than technology. You have more um, uh, everything more people to learn from. And then it's going to get into, when you get really immersive, mm -hmm. so I want to fly a plane. Good, you have that simulation. Um, I want to be a good manager. Good. Here's super realistic avatars acting like lunatics. You want to <laughs> learn that? I remember when I was one of my first manager jobs, I had, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but we should call this podcast, I don't know if I should say this, right? Um, I, 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 my, my first month on the job, I, had, I was managing 12 people. The same day, three of them, called me into private offices and cried. <laughs> now, it wasn't because of my management skills, but like, that would be a nice, it would have been nice to tell me that can happen, you mm -hmm. know? So um, anyway, I'm saying it, the metaverse is not only access to theoretically everyone, all kinds of places when it gets realistic, all kinds of simulations, it will certainly augment physical space, but it's gonna, that's why it's going to open up uh, uh, amazing realms. Well, and it also seems, and, and this is something I know we're passionate about at Maryville, as you know, opening up access and opportunity to millions of people who haven't had access to higher ed. I mean, yeah. let's face it, higher education has been elitist, exclusionary. You know, it's uh, the, the, better, the best schools are the ones that le le let in the least number of people, which exactly. when you think yeah. about it Good is, metric, right? is yeah. absolutely uh, counterintuitive yeah. and nuts. So, if you opening up access and opportunity means that people can operate in I, I call I think of it in terms of on multiple platforms simultaneously, yeah. right? And and access things that they never could access before. And and so so higher ed and I think Maryville's on the cutting edge of this, harnessing the that for educational access and opportunity becomes not just a huge challenge in some ways, but a massive opportunity Absolutely. to empower millions of people who haven't had access. Not just young people, 18, 22-year-olds, but, but working adults across Lifelong. the spectrum. Yep, yeah, exactly. To be, and, and so you're sitting there in a job uh, that you've been in for 12 years and decide, hell yeah, I can become a nurse. I can become this. I can yeah. even become an innovation guru like Bill O'Connor. Uh, Give us a call. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, agents of innovation hiring, if, if it is, we've got a scoop here, folks. Absolutely, yes. yes. <laughs> Hit me up on Instagram. There you go. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, how do you, how do you take that concept of innovation that you're an expert, and the understanding of this constellation of fast-moving technologies and so forth, and put it in a in a way that 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 the average person out there says, I can I can enter this universe mm -hmm. or this metaverse, and I can harness it for what my my individual goals and needs are yeah i'll say a few things one is the, the classic like follow the fun 
Like I was talking to someone the other day, and his kid was into Roblox. And I'm sure that kid doesn't know what the metaverse is. The kid is in the metaverse, theoretically speaking. Mm-hmm. So I get, I'll riff on it. One of the answers is, okay, it seems daunting to a lot of people, right? But if you sort of do follow the fun, I've toured people around, and we've done stuff with Maryville in my my office suite in the metaverse on Verbella. And one of my approaches is to make it fun. Like in in one of my many offices in my suite, which costs $100 a month, I still cannot believe that. (laughs) That's how cheap land is there. And it looks kind of nice. Uh, I put posters like Boston Celtics. I put a picture of my dog. So so one of the things I I think answers it is like making people have a connector, something that you love already. And it's almost like, um, hey, you see this thing you like? I'm going to put it over here. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we we have to treat ourselves as very simple in some way. So um, I think that is – but I I think that's a temporary problem. The the people that are daunted by – this is what I've said, by the metaverse – I mean, I, I, I've had my Oculus Rift for, I guess, maybe nine months now. I mean, just being on top of a mountain, like, you know, anything that you like. My wife is sort of resisting it so far, and she loves southern Italy. And I was like, yeah, you're going to resist it till I put the thing on you, and we're in Positano. And then I'm not going to see you for three hours, you know? So I don't know if that really – it's like partly shown – you know, I've learned. I can tend to be, you know, uh, didactic or dictatorial in the way I speak. But it's like don't lecture people. I, I still do this every day, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie on this podcast. Don't tell people it's coming. You've got to be ready. But that's part of it. But also draw them in. Yeah. You know? And I would say with academia, it's the same thing. I don't expect – professors um, or even faculty or staff to just instantly say, maybe more than most professions, you're, you're an educator, there's a school. You're, you're grounded in, in, in the physical. I don't expect them to jump right away. But I do think once you get them excited, I think the jumping will be easier. Well, and so let's, let's, let's drill down on that. We, we've, been, we've been working on this notion, as we talked about, the active learning ecosystem, personalized education, using the technologies and other things to make that a reality. And I think we've had some great success with that. But what we're also finding, too, and, and it goes to your point, is is the moment at which the student decides that they, in that, in that uh, fun way, that they want to explore and learn more. Yeah. There's nothing that can stop them. And I I use the analogy with gaming today. Now, some people think that, you know, video games and these kinds of things are, are, you know, have their pros and cons. The reality is that one of the fundamental things we found with gaming is that once uh, people enter that, that universe or that metaverse and are enjoying that experience, they will play that game. They will right. they will problem solve. They will work through yep. all the permutations because they are having fun. They're achieving. Mm-hmm. They're learning as they go. Their knowledge level is building as they go, you know, as they go up the levels or what have you. And as an aside, Maryville is the Alabama V sports and collegiate sports. Four it. out of four national championships out of seven. You're the Crimson E-Tide, right? The Crimson E-Tide. That's, uh, You're the Crimson Tide of of that, right? um, Marcy trademarked that immediately. Say, Crimson E Tide before Bill E-tide? before Bill can call his lawyer and trademark it. Let's get that. Let's get that. I'm in giving there. him away today. That's right. So, talk about 
talk about using these tools. Talk about like your relationship with soul machines, uh, digital people, and we've got four of them here at Maryville. Yep. How do you how do you see in the future these these digital tools leading to that idea of students in the in the in these in the metaverse in yep. the physical spaces owning their own learning journey? I love that. So let me answer in two ways. Uh, let me see. So the first thing, um, uh, metaverse and, and own learning journeys. Um, also, I want to talk about gaming, though. You mentioned it. Sure. So those two things. So the first thing is, it is fantastic that Maryville is so um, expert at, at gaming for a bunch of reasons. But, I mean, this is this is sort of obvious, but let's just get it out there. The gaming people have figured it out to some degree. They have. They have figured out a template that is and should be increasingly applied to education in some ways. I mean, in some ways, I'm an, I'm an educator in my own way. I've given all the, so it's like, I, you know, I'm not a big gamer guy, but I know the concepts go into different levels, challenges, collaboration. So um, you hit on gaming, forget that you guys are the, the Alabama of that for a second, just higher ed and gaming, so much to be learned there. They, they have the incentives down. And by the way, to anyone over 30, like I'm in my 50s, my God, if you look at EFTs and DAOs and blockchain and Web3 and all that stuff, that is borrowing heavily from gaming. So gaming mm -hmm. is in some ways the first uh, robust foray into the metaverse. So, and then happily, you guys are the best in the country at it, which I just love. And I know we look back 10 years and be like, yeah, one of the reasons Maryville was so, let's just say, seminal and important in the metaverse, which is what everyone should shoot for, is that we had this incredible advantage of a, a gaming brilliance, which is the first real use of the metaverse. I think that's that's one. Jumping to AI, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we're working on this in some ways. So Maryville has, I like the term AI, digital people. Because, you know, when you say digital people these days, people sort of think, oh, yeah, I'm working from home. We're all digital people. Yeah. If you Google digital people, and I've talked about this with Greg Cross from Soul Machines. Yeah. If you Google digital people, um, AI doesn't usually come up. It's, some, it's some, some guy from Harvard writing a white paper like, you know, digital people are more productive, blah, blah, blah. So, all right. Sometimes I remember arguing with the CEO of Autodesk way back in the day. We were going to do a speech about cloud computing. And um, I, I don't imitate his accent too much because he might hear this. His name is Carl Bass, one of the brightest people I've ever met. But he had kind of this New York uh, approach, I guess I can say it. At one point he said, the, the cloud, the name is BS. It's really just web-based computing. Let's call it that. And I was like, Carl, <laughs> ethically, as your attorney, no, as your speechwriter, you can't call it that. Everyone's calling it the cloud. And eventually, after an annoying argument, really, we're like, yeah, let's call it the cloud. He didn't agree with it, but we're going to do it. In the same way, um, uh, I think you have to put AI in, in there because to the average person, it's like, um, again, I'm hitting the point twice, D digital people. But AI, digital people, digital workforces. I mean, you guys have started in that direction. Yes. You know, what will happen, let's just think, in, in education, um, it will be varying, it will be AI digital people of varying and increasing exponentially over time intelligence and capabilities. And I think, again, trying not to, like, freak people out, I think it's all, digital workforce is a better term in a way. Mm -hmm. So I would say, oh, what's the digital workforce look like in education? Well, one day you're going to pop up and say, oh, look at this, digital person giving the tours. 
I gave tours of Franklin and Marshall all the time. Good. So someone, someone gave you the virtual tour. Someone who's not just smart about Maryville but has like a personality. Could be a digital twin of someone or it could be um, a, a whole new digital person, right? Or in the metaverse could be an, an avatar, right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm trying to home in on the point. So um, I think that a digital workforce is just something that will happen kind of naturally. Well, you think about 24-7 uh, uh, responses for students. We've got students, for example, across six time zones. So you're talking about there students wanting uh, answers to questions at 2 a.m. and 3 p.m. and all over the place and, and, and all of the service orientation that goes with that. And, you know, and I also think about I think about faculty and I think about their content and their expertise. And then I think about, you know, what would it be like if uh, faculty members had, uh, call them uh, digital grad assistants yeah. or something like that. I mean, uh, working all the time, never sleeping. By the way, that's <laughs> that's what it was for me in grad school at Ohio State. You worked for peanuts and you never slept and you were yeah. at their beck and call. It's just, it's but, just uh, more humane now, right? It's the same <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. The, and, the professor gets the same benefit. Yeah. 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 Okay. And we didn't even think in those days about unionizing. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's a shame that we, yeah. we didn't – they're going down that road now. But so – what are the uh, – I, I, we see the potential for all of this in higher ed as limitless. Yeah. That, 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 mm -hmm. And not just in terms of doing tasks, but in terms of reconceptualizing the learner at the center. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, we think of it in terms of – so you've got the learner at the center and you've got all these different needs that an average 19-year-old, 25-year-old, 40 has. And if you can provide all of that in a – let's say, an Amazon-like service orientation, information and counseling and support, yep. yeah. and then in, and it be anticipatory. So I know yeah. that, for example, uh, on a uh, – I know this because I know Bill – that, you know, on a Friday afternoon about 2 o'clock, it's impossible to get a hold of you. You're down at your favorite Irish bar in Boston <laughs> and, uh, and, and – Singing old sea chanties. Yeah, that's And me. shockingly, yeah. there's no cell phone service in any of those places. Coincidence, but, yeah. But if you can anticipate – the way students and, and learners learn, what their needs are, what their career choices may be, what their career strengths may be. If you can use AI and data to predict all yeah. of that, you really can not just move the needle. You're talking about changing the entire game of learning, of education, but yeah. also in healthcare. It, the same principles apply in healthcare. Very similar. I would say if you start with your idea of putting the, the student learner always first, however that is over time. Three things I can think of. One is this idea of infinite office hours, like, like you just mentioned. Yeah. It's like that's, that is fantastic. So I say I'm a recovering English major, right? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Hello, my name is Bill, all that kind of stuff. Um, we studied, I didn't study a lot of James Joyce, like I read later. We studied one page of Ulysses in a, a three-hour seminar and the professor's name, Professor Volker, has passed away. Um, uh, I wish that Professor Volker had been a digital person because it was fascinating to me because he, he was a Joyce scholar. He knew every single line. Mm -hmm. He knew why it wasn't gobbledygook and why it was brilliant. I think I probably would have talked to a digital Professor Volker, I don't know, probably for an hour or two. That would have been much better. Instead, I, I was limited that way. And that's when you're, we're privileged in the United States, right? Let's move it to access. Yeah. You and I have talked about this too. It's like this can't just be for like the, you know, the kind of relatively privileged. Um, 
taking space and, and location out of it in a way and increasing access, I agree. It's like how many billions of people don't have access to a good education? This can absolutely uh, address that through things like the metaverse, but also back to your AI thing. Yeah. Well, and also it opens up access to an opportunity and not necessarily through the channel of you go to college and pay tuition. It all, and, and that may be the other part of this is we believe firmly that it changes the business model where the cost of education, as we're doing here, is greatly reduced over a period of time, which adds even greater accessibility. There's no reason why yes, you're right. you should have to pay uh, through the nose to access uh, 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 doc, uh, Dr. Volker. No. Talk about Joyce. No. In fact, it should be, in the parlance of today, it should be relatively cheap yes. to be able to do that. And this is what's funny. I mean, I am doing this with myself, which makes it comfortable saying, thou shalt do it as well. So I have this body of knowledge on innovation, right? I look forward to the day down the line when I've got my own you know, um, digital, what's the old word, amanuensis means like your scribe or whatever. I want that assistant because I love to travel. I like seeing you guys. I don't like always to travel. Like, you know, uh, so it, if you view it as an extension or an augmentation of yourself, the expert should like it, but also the recipient. I guess ethically, in some ways, the recipient's more important. If you picture a little kid in an underserved area somewhere who finally, because of some combination of metaverse and whatever, f close to for free, mm -hmm. is getting a good education. Yeah. I mean, this is not rocket science. Wikipedia's already done this. YouTube has already done this. The things, I mean, if you were like, you had a God's eye view and said, you know, 30 years ago, all the stuff, all the planets learning, what percentage of it was at a university, super high percentage. That's way lower now. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm guessing. Cause it's like, but so, like, we've already seen learning as a, as a deep thing move to the Internet, you know, in some weird ways, Twitter, et cetera. This is just um, a, a, an amplification of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, again, I understand if you have a certain body of knowledge, the idea of, of, <laughs> of infusing it into a digital person and letting them talk to people while you're asleep – I don't know. I'm a, I'm a lunatic that way. I can't wait for that because <laughs> I'm sort of lazy. You know, I, I would love that. You know, well, you know, the, I know that there have been times when we've talked about these things that, and some of my uh, faculty colleagues and friends have have been have had some concern in some way, shape, or form. But as we talk about it here, content experts in any field, regardless of what it is, are always going to be incredibly valuable. But they're incredibly valuable now as facilitators. You know, we, um, I use this analogy periodically. You know, we, you and I, and when we went to school back in the dark ages, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, 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 think of it this way. The faculty was the pilot and we were passengers, yeah. right? And we were all going exactly. to the same place and pretty much at the same time. Yeah. And only Perfect. a few of us, you know, were kicked out of the plane or were forced to jump. The I think I was riding on the top of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> but today, I think everybody's got their own plane, potentially, yep. and the faculty member is a co-pilot. Perfect metaphor. You know, exactly. and, and, and they're facilitating, they're here to help, yep. they're here to help guide, but they're not driving it completely, nor are they passively uh, sitting there. They're, 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 they're working together. They're, 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 they're a team. Yeah. Working. And I think, and, and we have so many faculty here who, from a Pedagogicals have embraced that concept, right? And 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 big surprise, they're our most popular faculty, as well as uh, seem to be incredibly effective at student outcomes, and, and they get the good outcomes. ratings, and people love them, and, and yeah. yeah, and and it's sage on the stage, guide on the side, 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so give give our listeners. I mean, because you're great at doing this. Look over the horizon a little bit. What do you see? Uh, I'm. It's uh, it's 2030. What do you what do you oh, see with higher ed? My favorite year. My favorite. <laughs> it's a great year, by the way. <laughs> I am returned from the future. <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like that. Um, so, twenty in, in, thirty. Let's just say with 2030 in terms of like digital workforce, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Whatever you want to riff on. Um, I'll I'm, I'll try to do it uh, inductively a little bit. Just start with some actual examples. So, let's say I'm personally I'm still doing my thing. Right, in, uh, uh, research and uh, consulting and writing and all that stuff. <laughs> See, I'm greedy in this way. I'm going to give you a really robust answer, okay. and I'm going to say 2025. No, we'll say 2030. So I can picture if if you could transplant what the work transplant what I'm doing and my company's doing now to that year. My God, it would be better. Like again, I think I mentioned to you, we're doing, we're doing this great project with the Nobel Foundation, Nobel Prize winners. We've talked to ten of them already, right? That project has stalled a little bit. By the way, can you get me nominated for one of those? Yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Can you send me all the data? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send it to all you. All right, good. I okay. know a guy. You do know a guy? He'll, he'll deliver some stuff to you. Um, there's a guy in Rhode Island that knows yeah. a guy in Stockholm. Yeah, Rocco. He'll be out. <laughs> he's a buddy of mine. He'll, he gets out in six months, and then he'll come see you yeah. up in Boston. He says he's going to talk to Sven over there, I think. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, wait, what were we talking about? I, lo- I literally lost the train of thought. Oh, But this happens all the time with Bill I know, and I, I know so. it does. Yeah, you can edit this out, right? Or or use it as a trailer. I don't there know. There you go. Um, I'm trying to home in again. So um, if you – if I had – AI that we're not only able to convey my stuff. So at that level, soul machines, AI digital people can have thousands of conversations at the same time, mm-hmm. right? So this is partly why I love exploring with soul machines. So one thing in 2030 will bill will be will be um, yeah um, this will just be a given. Yeah, that agents of innovation. Um, yeah, they've been around uh, 15 years now. Whatever. Um, yeah, I mean. Go to their whatever site is called. Go to their place in the metaverse, and there's uh, there's there's digital. Bill O'Connor is one of the main guys there. Talk to digital Bill. Um, you know, there's there's literally thousands of them. The rate is so much lower. I mean, you can actually talk to the guy, but like that's going to cost more in some way. So it would be as a, as a content person researcher presenting, that's a given. But I'm more interested in. Like right now, right now is the perfect example. I just listened to all these podcasts about Web3, NFTs, DAOs, and I haven't had this experience in 25 years. This should actually either inspire or scare people listening because when I saw, this is a little bit about me, when I saw the web in 93, I was like, whammo, I got it. I don't know how, but I just got it. This stuff is different. I felt, honestly, I felt old, but I was like, I didn't understand, I only understood 63% 63% of what they were saying. Mm-hmm. It was literally like another language. So if I had my AI digital assistant, I would say, um, Fred, <laughs> please go out there and and find out everything you can about Web3, DAOs, NFTs, all this crazy stuff, and uh, summarize it in, in a pressy, do me, uh, give me a paragraph, give me a page, give me a five-pager, and give me an 83-page report, okay? Do you know what I want? Yes, I do. I don't know what Fred sounds like. And Fred comes back in six minutes. That would help me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I have to do that today (laughs) myself. I have to go through podcasts, and it's fine, but it's still a little old school. So anyway. It is. Basically, if you're doing um, 
intellectual work of any kind, 2030, the, your digital workforce will help you do all those things. Present things, talk to people, set up meetings, some of that's happening already, but in a deeper way, research, and then it's gonna get into thinking. Like I'd love to say, I mean, it, I'll, I'll summarize it with this. One of our techniques is, in the Innovation Genome Project, you take a, a thing you're working on and ask seven particular questions about it. This is where you get this idea of this guy, Lou from Miami. The questions are look, use, move, interconnect, alter, make, and imagine. Today we have to do that manually. That's a lot of the work that I've done. I'd like to do that with an AI. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say to my AI, okay, um, agents of innovation, we wanna, we wanna have a branch on Mars. Um, Fred, yes. Fred, I want you to spend um, 83 seconds of computer time. That's all he needs. He's much smarter than me, right? And I want you to come up with three strategies about how we get a thing on Mars. Pros and cons, everything, everything. Come up with a recommendation. Fred comes back in nine minutes. So, you see? Yes. Oh, I mean, this is – sometimes I try to convince people with just sheer this is what's going to happen. If you're a little worried about, like, I don't think I want to capture my stuff in, in, a, in a digital person, well, you will probably, and it's going to go way beyond that. Don't you want someone well, to think with you? It, it You know? It, the I tell people this all the time. Uh, you're uncomfortable with uh, – uh, networks capturing data and that you're pouring all your data into Facebook and Alexa and <laughs> exactly. everything else. It's already happened. Yes. So, so, so the, the real question is not, has, yeah. um, um, whether it's going to happen. The question is, are we going to harness that yeah. for all the good, positive yes. education, healthcare, whatever, or are we going to leave it up to the, the companies that shall remain nameless who are going to use it to uh, do all kinds of things uh, nefariously, yeah. uh, including uh, gin up crowds to overthrow governments? Exactly. So the, the, the thing that, that seems to me the picture you're painting and, and why it's so very important for education and other verticals, healthcare sure. and so on and so on, is this notion that these, the powerful tools of these technology, uh, these tech, the powerful tools within these technologies like AI and, mm -hmm. and so on and so on, if you harness them for those human goals and values yeah. that we hold dear and never lose sight of those, like learner-centric education, yep. like patient-centric healthcare, you can tremendously improve the welfare of Yes. millions and millions of people across the board and make a massive difference in their lives. I mean, 100%. And, and, and as long as you stay true to those values, yeah. the technologies are simply tools. See, you said some, this, and I've never heard a phrase exactly that way. I, I want to capture why I like that so much. I think what you're sort of saying is at the bedrock, there's values. I would also put ethics under there. Right. Right. You know, you know go back to the Greeks for ethics or just like being, a, being good, right? That, if that's down here, that is an anchor in the best sense of the word of all the technologies. Another way I would put it, though, is one of the things that I hate when people say uh, necessity is the mother of invention. It is not. And need is not at all the, the cause of most innovations. I always say, do you remember the great iPhone shortage of the 70s? Remember how terrible that was? Remember, <laughs> remember when we had no iPhones? I was like, no, nobody needs an iPhone. So it, the, I'm getting back to what you do. The phrase I like is innovation goes like this. It's when you take a person or an audience, you have to understand them, care about them, and imagine on their behalf. Mm -hmm. That is what innovation is, right? It's all those things. This is why the Bay Area is so good. Like, sure, 
I'll, I'll do it to San Francisco. Understand. It's like, well, we actually do want to like help people. So we have to really understand them. And the care part, it's no, look, I love Boston and New York, but it's like, yeah, care, buy the product. (laughs) 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 That's baked into the price. Right. Um, but that's that's most of the world. So um, or get out of my shop with yeah, that Mets hat. Exactly on. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. What are you? What are you crazy? Um, but that whole understand and and um, care about, and then imagine on behalf. I mean, I think that's very critical. I mean, again, Steve Jobs. I always say, if Steve Jobs had come to me in 2005 and said, "Hey, what should we do with the with for the new type of phone?" and say, "Make a less crappy BlackBerry." I wasn't focused on that. He imagined mm-hmm. on our behalf. And then again, bringing it back to, um, I think I'm trying to bring it back to, as long as you have that human thing at the center of the foundation, um, I'm an optimist that the, the, the waves of technology will be relatively beneficial. And mm-hmm. you're exactly right. And I don't like to whack Facebook in a cliche way, but and again, I'm from Silicon Valley. It's almost like benign neglect. Like, it is not, some people on the right are just like, Silicon Valley, it's so evil. You know, Bill Gates is putting, you know, whatever into the next <laughs> No, we don't have time for that. But there is, sometimes I think that Silicon Valley is like just a nerdy teenager without great social skills. And he, usually he or she, doesn't know the full ramifications of what they create. So that's better than like Dr. Evil, right? But still, it's not good enough. So I, I like where you're going with this thing. It's like valued anchored technology and that is not um that is not obvious and a cliche that does not happen a lot now people i hate when people say this too technology you know technology is agnostic it should can be used for good or evil people usually say that when somebody does something bad it's like an excuse how about saying all right that's a given let's let's do good with the technology mm-hmm. that's why i say as as maryville moves into this age of the metaverse etc cetera, etc cetera, and i've written things about this to you the Maryville, va- uh, Maryville values, another incredible strength, right? Right, so, so, And exactly. again, y- you, uh, if you have, it's almost like a ship in a storm. If the ship is solid, say that's like the values, you go into the storm, you'll be okay. If you don't have a clear sense of values, but the you're going to get lost, lost in the metaverse, you mm-hmm. know? So I think, I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? If yeah, If you can absolutely. just keep the student and learner central. That's kind of a nice north star. Yeah, and I would argue, and it's when any any industry, any vertical, any or any indiv- a university, a hospital, when they lose sight of the learner, they lose sight of the patient. They yep. lose. They, that's when they go down roads yes. that, uh, and then they wind up at the end of those roads tied in knots yep. with all kinds of issues, and they're yep. not doing what they're telling people they're there to do. Exactly. And uh, and so the. I think a lot of people, you said this very much earlier, and maybe this can help tie things together. People struggle with the, the waves of technological change and the waves of things. And I do, too, like sure. you've said. I yeah. mean, there are times when I go, oh, my God, you know, I, the, I, can, I can only handle so much on my iPad anymore, and then I'm done. Yeah. But, but I think what's happening, too, is that people uh, struggle with handling the waves, particularly maybe older people yep. like ourselves. Mm-hmm. But they also realize that younger people are, to one degree or another, I'm not saying they're not struggling, but their absor- ability to absorb and integrate is tremendous. It's like it's yeah. like 
grandparents today don't talk about their grandkids. They talk about tech support because that's what the grandkids are, right? They're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're literally having a geek squad where yep. you can call up and have them fix yeah. things. Young people today, what do we have to do to help them fully understand, as you've articulated in so many ways to so many, the process of innovation, the human dimension of it, and what it really means. And maybe it goes back to values and other things, but what if you were in front of a group of 18-year-olds or 16-year-olds, what would you tell them? Along those lines, this is a great question too, and I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of talking at the university level, right? My, my short answer is, it's funny, we set out with the Innovation Genome to discover what we call timeless universal principles. The reason I think we, I know we did that is what I'm about to say, which is if I'm talking to eight-year-olds or 80-year-olds, I don't have to change anything in the first, like, 40% of my talk because innovation is the underpinning. Mm. I think that's what you're sort of going at. Yeah, yeah so it's funny. Um, I would say to 18-year-olds the same thing I say, which is you guys are entranced by all the technology, right? So am I. It's great. And I would say that um, you're surfing this wave of technology. You don't know what life is like without it. It's exhilarating. And then I would pander to the audience and say, I know some of you have got blockchain and all this. Like, yeah, you know, you know. I, great at pandering when I need to, right? But then I would say, um, I, I, I'm, I'm constructing a speech in my head. I would say, do you want to also create in that world? And they would go, yeah, I would. Would you like to create a coin or this or that? Yeah, I would. Would you like to do the next Roblox? Yes, I would. You need to know how to innovate. And it's not technology. That's what I would do. They're yeah. already excited about the tech and – not the tech. What happens in the tech? They're not transfixed about Roblox.com, an LLC based – they're excited about the experience. So I would, I would sort of hook them with that. Like you enjoy it and hopefully you can work in it. And to do that, you have to innovate. So you see innovation as a discipline then, as something that uh, – absolutely, yeah? Yeah, and again, that's why I've enjoyed talking with you is um, I have been stunned – and, and, and to be nice to my alma mater, I've, I've had talks with Franklin and Marshall about, <laughs> I have no filter, so I'm just going to say everything, right? <laughs> An Irishman with ADD, like, like how much time do we all have here, right? But I'm just going to say it. Um, I talked to um, president of uh, Franklin and Marshall, wonderful guy, now runs Aspen Institute, right? And I said, I, sh I have to get back in touch with him. Another ADD thing, yeah, I should call him. I basically said, so I'm guessing there's no innovation course at Franklin and Marshall. And he was like, no. And I was like, you know why that's not surprising? Because there's not really innovation courses pretty much anywhere. Mm -hmm. And to have appropriate GPS, make sure I'm not being provincial, I checked. I was like, I've worked a lot with Berkeley and Stanford. And I've said this to the people working there. It's like the, the people that come out of those schools do unbelievable things. That's different than to say, how is it taught there? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, anyway, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. Well, you know? I think I think – Part of the bias here uh, that many people have, and I think this is why your work is so important, is the biases they equate innovation with some kind of uh, spark of genius. Like you have to be Edison, or you have to be Einstein, or you yeah. have to, and and, and, and it almost like they're you know they're talking about how to play the piano great. You know, only yeah. certain people can do it. But I think what as you've taught innovation, as you've laid it out, you know, innovation is not exclusionary. It's really innovation can happen anywhere from anyone. Yeah. And, uh, and you yeah. can learn how to do it. Well, this is the thing. There, there's a dichotomy here. I'm going to reference um, – I'm going to focus on Steve Jobs and Stephen King, believe it or not. Okay? 
California and a New Englander, right? Um, the, Which in, is the greater horror, by the way? <laughs> well, if you worked for Steve Jobs, that was scarier than <laughs> it. That was much scarier than it or like Salem's Lot, you know. <laughs> I'm almost not kidding, right? Right. Um, so look at it this way in terms of like who can and who can't. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, et cetera, they deserve what they, the credit they get. They, they, they are or were absolute geniuses, right? So, okay, that's over there. Most people are not going to be that. It's not binary, though. The media is often that. You're either a genius or good luck, just do like a startup, whatever, right? Um you're correct in saying that our work, because I think it's timeless principles, Stephen King wrote an incredible book called On Writing. And if anyone listening thinks he's just the horror guy, I mean, I've read tons of books on, on, on writing, and this is one of the best ones. And he says, look, I, how does he phrase it? He says, I can't make you a great writer. He said, here's what I can do. There's four levels. There's bad writers. Instruction can make you okay. So if you're bad, I'll get you to okay. If you're an okay writer, near the end of the book, I can get you to good. Can't get you to great. That's, that's, that's the genius level, right? So I have a, maybe a similar attitude, which is um, on a 1 to 10, Jobs and Musk and all those people are the, like the 10. I'm not saying, which I hate, everybody is an innovator. God, this, God help us. Everyone's a designer. <laughs> oh, my God. If you could see my fashion choices, you know I'm not going to be a designer. They, right? they, they, they never met my brother, if they believe that. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm saying you're right in that, and I think this is empowering. It is like I, could get, I can get you from not innovating to being okay. And I think these techniques, because they're drawn from the greatest innovators, can get you, and, and we've proven this, from being okay to actually innovating. N- not to that level, but there is a democratic um, impulse that I really like about mm-hmm. my work. And I think you have a similar thing in, in the education realm, which is we're not going to be pangloss about it. Everyone's not the same. But in the innovation world, I mean, let's be honest, the corporate world has been so confused about innovation. It's the same thing in the corporate world. Yeah. When I look at when I look at people who are 57 or, or 18, they're both in the same boat. They're not innovating. They kind of would like to be. And let me show you what the greatest innovators in history have done to do that. that yeah. that's the, so that there's a democratic impulse there. Yeah, I know. I, I see that very much. Well, we could talk for hours more but yeah. uh but it's happy hour time and you are uh, your contract says you must be on a bar stool by 4 p.m so we have exactly. to take care of that no uh, i'm joking with my friend here um bill thank you very much thank for being so here much. really appreciate it great Fantastic. stuff and uh we'll see you again on our next podcast uh we'll talk more about how maryville's disrupting higher ed and building a new matrix thank you Thank you for joining us for Disruptor in Chief. Please share this episode with people in your network who might benefit from it. We'll see you next time.